Welcome. This is Karen Modakaitis, and you're listening to How She Really Does It, the place where inspiration and possibility meet on KDRT 95.7 FM. Anna Vocino, my friend, is back, and we are going to be talking about un- making money in unconventional careers. And we're going to talk a lot about money and doing things that are different without a scammy so-called approach or, you know, six figures, but, but what, what it really takes. So join us for this conversation and I will circle back afterwards. Thanks so much for listening today. All right. Hello and welcome back. Anna Volcino is back as the guest co-host for How She Really Does It. Yeah. Yeah. And we're going to be talking to you guys today about stepping into making money at unconventional jobs because like we talked about the last time with our interview about our conversation about slasher careers, we're going to talk about making money. You got to make some money or else it's just a hobby. (laughs) Exactly. And there's a lot of hobbying that's kind of look like his business, Mm -hmm. but we are two gals who are in business. Yes. So what do you have to say about making money at these unconventional jobs? Well, I think for me, you know what, it took a little bit of time to ease into it, to to shift my belief systems that I could make money at it. Mm -hmm. And I, I mean, I'm coming from, I make most of my money in a creative profession. And then there's a little bit of money that I make podcasting and stuff. We're growing that. But, um, Anytime you do anything creative, whether you're a photographer or a painter or an entrepreneur, I think is one of the most creative jobs ever, even though you might not be singing for a living, you're still, you have to be extremely creative and you have to be creative at business as well as whatever the, your, the topic of your business is. Um, I, I worked for free for a long time mm-hmm. and then it was working for very little money for a long time. And then every now and then, like the big jobs would pop in, get two grand here and two grand, but nothing was predictable. Mm -hmm. And um, so I I think that when you step into making money at an, at at an odd job, it's not, not, you know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Um, When you step into making money on a consistent basis so that you can make not only a living, but a really nice living, there's a degree of um, foundation building. You're, it's it's almost like you're laying brick, and each each job, each each freelance gig, each referral, each time it happens, it's like you're laying another brick, and then all of a sudden you can look down and you say, "Oh my gosh, I built an entire foundation now. Now I'm good to go." Mm-hmm. Um, work. I mean, as an actor, my version of working for free was doing as much theater as possible and doing as many improv shows as possible. That's how I got my ten thousand hours. You know, well, and isn't that also the way you practiced your craft? Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, I go ahead. Go ahead. No, no, go ahead. Well, I because I think first off, I want to go back to the shifting the beliefs because I remember. So here I was, you know, at this tenure job. I was tenured at twenty nine, made a good salary. I knew I, you know, for a person who wanted a lot of safety and security, I had that theoretically on paper, mm-hmm. and and I knew that I could when I I, I had figured it out like. If I retire out at 65, I was going to make, you know, I think 90% or over 100% of my salary. Like I had, had it all figured out. Wait, wait. So if you retire, when you retire, you're, they're still paying you almost your full salary. Yeah. Because I, every it was, year. It was, it was until my you pension. Die. Yes. Yeah. So it was wow. a great, yeah, it was a great gig. And, um, that's impressive. So, but the path to get there can be very costly. So, when I left that kind of security because my heart was pulling for something else, mm-hmm. you know, there was this one that had this belief system of, oh my gosh, I wasted all that money getting educated because I had to have a master's degree to teach there. Um, but it wasn't a waste because I was there for, I don't know, 11 or 13 years. Right. But then the other was, I remember thinking, I told somebody, I was like, I drank the Kool-Aid. How can I actually make money at this life coaching thing or this entrepreneurial thing? And um, and I thought that. And so really for me, it was about changing that belief system that I had, mm-hmm. thinking what was possible because I knew what was possible in the sense of an institution, 
Right. That's like your industry is entertainment down there. My industry here is education, right? Everybody works for these institutions or the state government. There's a lot of, you know, uh, state employees. Well, don't you think a lot of it too is, is, you know, unpeeling the onion, Mm -hmm. (laughs) peeling back the layers of the onion of being told, at least growing up in the East Coast, working in entertainment doesn't even cross the minds of anybody that I knew. Mm-hmm. Like, it just wouldn't happen. Mm-hmm. And uh, maybe, like, you'd hear about one guy's brother would be in a band and they might play a couple of gigs in, like, Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, oh, wow, they went all the way to Philly, which is two hours away from D.C. It, you know, other than that, like, it wasn't on anyone's radar. You just grow up, you go to college, maybe you go to law school, maybe you go to med school, maybe you go to graduate school, but maybe not. You just get a good job and that's what you do. So it, it there is no role model. And and I think the kids now have a lot more role models and um, with doing creative professions, because first of all, there's the internet. Mm-hmm. So you can look and find somebody and they can, you can be mentored by somebody without even knowing that they're mentor, you know, they don't even know they're mentoring you. Mm-hmm. Um, but there was no like basis. So everything was just kind of haphazard. And I had no belief in, in myself that I could make money of this because then, then there's the, not only there's there no role model, but uh, with a lot of families, mine included, when you said, I'm going to do this creative thing and not that thing that you want me to do, be a lawyer, mm-hmm. which is what my family kept telling me all along. It, <laughs> they're like, what? You're doing what? And there's zero support. And that's tough. And they're the only reason they're not supporting you is because they don't understand how to, because they have no frame of reference for it. Mm-hmm. Um. Or maybe they grew up in Shakespearean times and they think all actors are prostitutes. I don't know. <laughs> you know, whatever. It, it was not a good reaction. And that's tough. And then it's not until... It, it's even hard to explain to folks back east what you're doing. Oh, hold on. My phone is ringing. Let me disable that. <laughs> 704 area code. Spammer from North Carolina. Um, so, you know... <sighs> I don't, I don't blame myself for being so haphazard about stuff, but, um, it took it, uh, it took a a lot of like, I like what you said just now about like, you were upset at yourself. Like, should I not have gotten my master's? Was that a complete waste of energy? Mm -hmm. Because I spent many years going, why, why did I even care about going to Emory and majoring in history and French? Who Mm -hmm. cares? And and especially I felt that when I was paying off some student loans. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was like, why did I do this? And now I'm an actor and I don't have money to pay off student loans. And um, and it made me realize, like, you can't, like, you just, you can do those things, but don't get mad about it. Because it's still, it's part of the fabric of who you are that you're going to bring to your life, your that life experience that you're going to bring to these future jobs that you're going to do in this creative profession. It really does help feed it. And that is so true because I remember when I was walking around the pool deck at Sac City College going, well, what what can I really do? All I know how to do is teach people how to swim. Like I, I was such on that level instead of my my ability to connect with people, my ability to take information and, and give it to somebody in a bite size where they can implement it and then grow from there. Um, yeah. You know, and all these different things. And, you know, like, okay, I have this radio show podcast. Well, I'm really good at asking questions and apparently great questions because a lot of times, you know, my guests will say, wow, that was a really great question. Mm-hmm. So those are things that I, I have these skill sets and I just don't like you and I, we don't have a job title that is just one, you know, like lawyer, but even, even, right. and this is where I invite the audience to think about like even lawyers, like I've had friends who work for law firms who don't even go into their law firms because maybe they're the rainmaker and there's their job is to make the connections, right? right. And there's somebody else they're back just in the out office. there in the world. Yeah. Procuring and, connections. And so to like Byron Katie, I always think about this. Byron Katie will say that our thoughts create the prison walls of our lives. Mm. And so, you know, when you talk about the East Coast, they have this prison wall because they don't see what's out, what else is out there. Like for me, where I am and for people who are so into having tenure, it doesn't make sense. Like, why would you give that up? The risks right. and the safety aren't there. And it's hard what I do. But the other side is that I really like what I do and I feel alive and I get, you know, like 
I, I was bored. I got to a point. I mean, there were other reasons that I left, but it was like, okay, I've mastered this. I figured this out. And I always thought I wanted to be in this smooth promised land with a course or something. But as soon as yeah. it was like smooth and promised land, I was like, okay, now it's just kind of machine operated. It wasn't very fun for me. Right. Right. I like that struggle part. I like, and that's for my own personal growth. Cause we want to be challenged. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I just, and so I, for me, and I'm not saying for some people, that is a great job. And there's, for me, it no longer fit. Um, but changing that mindset around money and was, was a huge thing. And, um, and you said something that was really important was you did a lot of stuff for free. So I want to know, Anna. Yes. What was your self-talk like when you were walking in going, okay, I'm an actor or I want to be an actor and I'm doing this for free. Okay. Well, I think this will apply to everyone listening who who is maybe younger because I went through this experience in my 20s and it is different than if you're deciding when you're in your 30s or 40s or even 50s that I'm going to try this voiceover thing or I'm going to try to actually make money with my photography or my painting or whatever it is, my my loot, homemade loot building, L-U-T-E. I don't know how to be clear about that. That wasn't a good joke. Um, but when being younger, I kind of I kind of expected to pay my dues and I was okay with it. Mm-hmm. So I just did as much as I could possibly schedule in. So I would do if there was a, a, a straight play going on, meaning not an improv show. Then and I could work in rehearsals and do performance of that play as well as doing improv shows whenever I could. Or sometimes I would just focus on doing improv shows and do, uh, we would do shows Thursday, two shows Friday, and two shows Saturday. And not not necessarily do all five shows, but somewhere between, you know, th- usually on average around three to f- maybe four shows. Okay. So depending on when you were cast that night, we had a rotating cast of uh, the main cast. Um, so I would try to do as much of that as possible. Plus, you know, the rehearsals, you still have to rehearse for improv. Mm-hmm. You still got to get in the mind frame. Um I was I was okay with knowing I needed to work a day job. I hated my day jobs. I hated them. I was a terrible worker because I hated it. Um, until after my daughter was born and I got the political consulting job, in which case that one, I, I hated it, but I did a really good job and was eventually offered to be a partner in the firm. And I was, I declined that. But, um, and you were making good money, right? Yeah, I was making really good money at that. And, and I was, it wasn't for me. I was just <laughs> miserable uh, doing that. But it, you know what I mean? Like I had to move slowly and incrementally and it wasn't I, basically in my twenties, I didn't know that I didn't know who I was as an actor. I didn't know who I was, like my essence, like what my voice was. I didn't know what I looked like, what I sounded like, you know what I mean? Like, there's just not a lot of software. I knew I loved doing it, so I would just throw myself into it. Mm-hmm. And um, so I think a lot of stuff kind of tends to gel in your 30s, and now I'm 41. Stuff tends to gel with with who you are and what you're doing, and now I know how to audition, and now I know how to do, you know what I mean? I know how to not waste my time or anybody else's time. I know how to drill down in it more. So I think the amount of money that I've been paid has corresponded, if you were going to do like a, a, a graph, <laughs> the amount of money I've been paid has corresponded with, you know, the conversely with the beliefs that have diminished that I can't do this anymore. So with it, with the amount that I've increased the income, I've increased my belief in myself and I've increased my skill set and I've increased who the knowledge of who I am and the and the solidity in that. Is that a word? Sure. Sure. <laughs> it is now. <laughs> so you know what I mean? Like the amount of money you make is is proportional to that. So how did you change that belief system? Slowly. Mm-hmm. I think for me personally, what's sustainable is what shifts slowly. Mm-hmm. Like you're not going to instant, if you lose 10 pounds in one month, this is based off of, you know, <laughs> if, if you don't have that much to lose. I know you can lose 10 pounds in one month is sustainable, but if you don't have a lot to lose and all of a sudden you're dropping 10 pounds, I know for me personally, that would involve a lot of pain. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I would be starving myself. I would be, you know what I mean? To drop 10 pounds really quick. Let's say 10 pounds in two weeks, just to be, to really illustrate the point. Just the same as like, 
if you haven't done that work to fix those beliefs, if you get a big job, it feels really good, but it's not sustainable and you won't get, you know what I mean? The big, mm-hmm. jo- the big jobs that I get now, if I had gotten those, then I wouldn't have been ready for them. Mm-hmm. So it had to increase incrementally. Mm-hmm. Now, I mean, I get that because it, like in, in athletic terms, um, I remember my, my husband's uh, athlete who made the 2012 Olympic team and, and he was one of Pete's college athletes. So they'd been together for about seven years. And, when Scott had graduated from college and they were making this focus to for the Olympic trials, not even the Olympic team. He he wasn't good enough to make the Olympic team at this point. But uh, he, Scott got really mad at Pete and said, Pete, you know, why didn't we train this hard when I was in college? And Pete said, you weren't ready to train this hard. I mean, he trained hard and he was a good collegiate athlete. Yeah. But he needed that foundation. And so what I hear you saying is that it was like you need to have that foundation to be able to make those big paychecks. You yeah. know, because if you don't, that's where we hear those stories of like lottery winners losing their money or what is it? Exactly. It's not sustainable. The 75% of what is that NBA basketball players? And I don't know if that, that quote is correct, but it's, it's a pretty high number, the stat yeah. out there of People NBA basketball. NFL players who are bankrupt, you know, mm-hmm. two years after they leave the league. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, versus, you know, people who can create lifetime wealth or, you know, sustainable income where they can take care of themselves and their families and really create the mm-hmm. lives that they want, like the listeners on the show that really want it. You know, it doesn't have to be you have to be locked in this box doing yeah. this job, but how can you create the life that you want that there's a sust- sustainability to it? Well, and I think part of what makes it sustainable is cutting out external noise or I just had a conversation the other day with a friend of mine who is selling a show and he was like, well, you know, there's a lot of shows out there. And I was like, so (laughs) like, what does that mean? Then you're not going to sell your show because there's a lot of other shows. That's like me saying, and it would be true. I'm not going to go into voiceover because it's an already glutted marketplace. That's true. Mm -hmm. But something was still calling me to go into it. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? You still, if you want to do it, you still have to go for it. Mm -hmm. And, um, and, so you can't, those, those are another set of beliefs that you have to kind of get over, which is, I'm not saying like, you have to be like, I am the most amazing and everyone's going to know me and notice me and love me. Cause it's not like that, but it's like, no, I can still figure out a way to work in a marketplace where nobody knows who I am yet. They're eventually going to know who I am and I'm going to work, mm-hmm. but you can't say like, well, you know, I'm giving it a shot. I mean, it's pretty like, I don't know. I don't really sound like... Demi Moore or Lauren Hutton, but you know, maybe one day I'll get a job. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because you have to, and and those, it sounds so stupid when I say it out loud, but those are examples of things that you think. Like, what does the world need another painter? Mm-hmm. Does the world need another photographer? Does the world need another actor? No. Do you know who Hugh, <laughs> Hugh McLeod is? No. Uh-uh. So, um, I interviewed him. I'll put a link to the show. Um, and I can't remember what he wrote, but he had this thing where he talked about we the whole premise. He was an ad guy. He worked in New York on Madison Avenue in right as the mar- everything was crumbling and he wound up getting fired. And then he wound up working in England for this guy who made these really expensive suits. And he kind of learned from there. And then he started drawing um, kind of like his little witty sayings on the back of like business cards Mm -hmm. and he does artwork and this is his business. And he, now he does artwork and, and he talked about you only really, and there's this whole white tail thing, I think it's called, but basically he said, you know, he is proof that you only need a thousand true fans. True. Yeah. To make money to like, and I think the idea was the whole six figure thing, right? That's always kind of the benchmark. Right. A thousand true fans. So you think about, you know, we're both in the podcast world and we both, some we may have some crossover audience, we may not, but there are people that want to hear the things that we have to talk about. And, you know, and so there's all these, instead of this mainstream, remember when there are three television channels, ABC, NBC, and CBS, Mm -hmm. and that was it, right? There's like way too much TV now because I don't even know all the channels I have on my television. Um, but there's lots of different opportunities. So when we sell ourselves short of saying, well, why, why should I do, you know, voiceover or why should I be a life coach? Mm-hmm. Then you're not helping people with your gift that you have. Don't you think? I totally agree. And I think that like, though, 
those kind of beliefs tie into either a worthiness thing, like mm-hmm. I'm I'm not worthy of being seen or heard because there's already so many others out there being seen and heard. Um, or it also could just be a convenient, like a self-sabotaging excuse. Like if you really were to drill down into it, why why would you think that? Because you want to have value in the world. I mean, if it's like, great, well, does the world need another accountant or does the world need another lawyer? Like, no, but if that's your calling, go do it, mm-hmm. you know? Um, but I, I think that the, oh, I love the thousand true fans. Oh, and mm-hmm. I've been meaning to tell you this past weekend, we had an NSNG meetup, NSNG being the uh, Vinnie Tortorich's uh, way of eating, which is no sugar, no grains. And uh, a bunch of the podcast fans flew here to L.A., and we all got together for the weekend. It was really, really fun. But uh, there were a few of our female listeners who uh, now have found you because I came on your show. And they were saying how much they loved your show. So I figured I would pass the love along. Oh, yay. I know. Isn't that great? That made me happy. I was like, yes, I know. Isn't she great? I love her. <laughs> She's awesome. <laughs> we have this little love fest happening over here. Always. Always. <laughs> um, and, and then another thing, too, that I, I thought of. Because I thought to myself, you know, I was scared to meet the people. Are they going to be disappointed when they meet me in person and they see that I haven't become a size two by eating NSNG, that I'm still the the eight to ten that I always am? Mm-hmm. And um, and then I, I realized, I was like, it was a good chance for me to realize, no, they're just here to meet me. They just want to hang out. Mm-hmm. And I just want to meet them. And it's, you know what I mean? We're just people. It's not like uh, you, you can mentor people in a number of different ways. Mm-hmm. Well, and the other thing is that don't you, you give them permission, like, okay, here is somebody who's trying to figure it out. And this, while this works for a lot of people, there can be other things that need to be tweaked. But you've always said that NSNG, you, you have high energy. Yeah. And it's the bare, it's the bare minimum of how the bare bones plan of how I have to eat and everything else above that is specifically tailored to my body. <laughs> so it's not, it's not my it's, picky body. <laughs> yeah, it's not a waste. And, and then it, it also gives people like this idea instead of everybody thinking they have to look a certain way or, you know, look like Serena Scott Thomas, right? Cause right. there's, there's only Serena Scott Thomas. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so. Exactly. Um, okay. So going back to that is so cool. I'm really excited. And I, I want to hear later more about the meetup, but so I want to go back to this idea because stepping into making money at unconventional careers because the money stuff is like the mind crack. You know, it's like you were talking about your friend who has that show to sell and that mm-hmm. can, you know, the belief of, well, it's already, there's already all these shows. I know. And he'll sell it. That was just like an, an insecure mm-hmm. thought. But I know that if he could, if he voiced it, that means he's probably thought it a mm-hmm. bunch of times and we've all done that. Mm-hmm. And... But and, and here's a great thing, because like I always tell my clients, I go, look, that is like taking that you, you want to open up the drawers to see what clutter you have. Or, mm-hmm. you know, you ha- people have like my aunt always had this one room that she keep the door shut because she just didn't want to see what was behind it. Because it had open all the, the door. crap in it. <laughs> but like open the door and start taking the crap out. So if you have yeah. that mind crack in your brain. Yeah. Take it out so that you can go, oh, I have this. Or like when you were, you know, showing those uh, limiting beliefs, right? You're sharing them and you talk about them. As soon as we talk about them, we're like, really? But when, but when they're in our head, especially for me, 4.30 in the morning, 4.30 oh, yeah. in the morning, I can believe just about anything. Yeah, that's the worst time, right. the witching hour. Yeah. And so, but when we can take it out and, and Brene Brown talks about this, when we have like shame, which is that I always call shame is the voice of who the hell do I think I am? Mm, I'm not mm-hmm. good enough. I'm not worthy, right? But when we share our shame storm, with, and this is the key, with somebody who's earned the right to hear it, it starts to dissipate. Yeah, it really does. It does. And so like when your friend can say to you, you know, just in passing, I have this thought, and you can be like, really? You're not, or, you know, and just even holding in the space, we don't even have to change it, but they can just share it and we can just be like, okay, you have this belief, but come on. Go do it, right? That is the coolest thing about beliefs is that when you realize you've been carrying a subconscious belief, when it pops mm-hmm. into your consciousness, it's almost like it. then it just goes. When you're mm-hmm. like, oh, I do that. Mm-hmm. And then you, I don't know. It's That's pretty cool. It's not like you have to do a whole bunch of work. Mm-hmm. Once you realize it, you can go, oh, yeah, I don't have to do that anymore. Great. Yeah. I feel but, better. I liken it to, you know, when you, when you know your NSNG, it makes it really simple. You don't go walking down the bread aisle at the grocery store. Yeah. Right. So now all of a sudden your grocery store trip 
has been greatly reduced. Like last night I went to the store really quickly, 20 minutes, spent a ton of money. But I, and all of a sudden I looked and I'm like, isn't this interesting? I walked in through the produce, the meats, the cheeses, (laughs) the dairy and the eggs. I haven't walked down any of these other aisles. I literally haven't been down the center aisles at the grocery store in years. And every now and then, like if my husband's like, oh, get, you know, panda puffs or some Mm -hmm. sort of cereal that he and my daughter like to eat. I joke that they're ASAG. They're all sugar, all grains. (laughs) But um, but I'm always like, what? Like, I'm confused when I look at this. And also, too, I'm like shocked at like, how can a box of cereal be six (laughs) dollars? And, and it's, it's not even good for you. Oh, but it says it's healthy. It, yes, it does. <laughs> I've had to explain to my children that those are actually just billboards. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Those are just words on a paper. Yep. Just pretend they're just the advertising that you see as you're driving down the freeway. They're just in right. smaller containers. <laughs> Meaningless words. But so like when you can be aware of your thoughts and what thoughts serve you and which ones don't, it's like, it's just like going to the grocery store when you, you know, I've, I've tell this with my clients all the time. Years ago when my daughter was like two, she drank a ton. She still drinks a ton of milk, but she did then. And, um, at that time we're like, you know, it, how we spent money, the grocery store was really dictated to the value that we got. Right. Mm -hmm. And so we're like, well, should we drink organic milk or not? And we did some, we consulted with somebody, a nutritionist. And at the time, I mean, my daughter's 15. So this is a long time ago. She'd said, you know, it's probably a good idea to, there's a lot of hormones and fat and stuff. So go organic. And so that was a big step for us to pay, you know, $7 for a gallon of milk, especially for a kid that drank about a gallon a day. Um, so, and she was two. Yeah. And, um, but we did that. And so that has always, you know, I just go there. There's no mind crack. I go, I pick it up, I leave. There's not any energy. There's no yeah. very limited cost except for what I pay out of my pocket. But when we can get to that place with so many other aspects, so whether it's, you know, when you know, like for you to cook, like for me to cook chicken thighs, right, is going to take a lot of mind crack. For you, you just do it because you've practiced right. it, you do it. Well, that's that like whole it. decision fatigue mm-hmm. thing that they've been talking about on the TED Talks. I don't know which one it was, but they were talking about decision fatigue. And I was like, that's so true. Like you have a certain amount of brain power allocated, which, you know, you can access more, but it is easier when certain things are put on autopilot because then you can focus your brain power on the creative stuff you need to do mm-hmm. if you're writing a book or if you're whatever. Yeah, because when we spin, we're now not taking care of our business and doing the work that we want to do, mm-hmm. right? So like if it's the show that you're trying to sell, if you're spinning and saying, oh, I can't sell it, I can't sell it, mm-hmm. well, you're not even looking at, okay, well, this person said no, but what else can I do? Or how else can I do this, right? Looking, right. trying to be resourceful. I mean, and I think one of my strengths as an entrepreneur is that I'm resourceful. I mean, and when did you say that that's a skill set that you have? I'm extremely resourceful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Absolutely. You have to be. Mm-hmm. The other thing I, I think that's very good to do, like if you're actually wanted to do like something actionable, uh, I would say work as much as you can, whether it's free or for free, like have a fire sale on your skills and do, it, it, this is if you're at the beginning of making that transition because one of two things will happen. Both of these things will happen. You'll get some extra jobs. You won't make a ton of money, but you'll get some extra jobs. So if your rate is, let's say your rate's 250 an hour, do something for a hundred an hour. You know what I mean? Like just get more experience under your belt, whatever you can do. And you'll know when the time is right to stop doing that. It will, it will hit you like a ton of bricks. And then the other thing is that you just get, uh, you make a little bit of money, but then you get a little bit of, uh, you get more foundation, more experience, more like more defining, like the more, every audition I go on, I learn something new about what I could have done better. Mm-hmm. There's not one where I'm like, well, that was perfect. I could not learn anything from that experience. Like everything, every time I go, and I've been on a 500 million auditions mm-hmm. and it's funny that I'm like, wow, I still have stuff to learn. Um, but I, I think if you're going to do something actionable, go get out there and do as much as you can. And then also, too, I'm a big, big proponent of when people ask you for favors, do them. Don't do it where, like, you're spending all of your time doing favors for other people. But 
I used to, I really, I really used to get my feathers ruffled. For instance, I used to get my feathers ruffled, ruffled when people would email me asking, can I take you out for coffee? I want to pick your brain and see how you got into voiceover. And at first I didn't get my feathers. I got my feathers ruffled after I realized about the 10th person who did that. I realized nobody's following up on anything that I told them to do. Mm -hmm. So they don't really want to do voiceover. They want to hear what I did to get into voiceover because they wanted to hear that it was so easy. And then I just started making money. Mm -hmm. (laughs) That's what they wanted to hear, which is why they didn't want to follow up on anything. Mm -hmm. Um, I think so then that's why I uh, got together with Nancy Wolfson and, and I recorded a bunch of stuff about how I got into it. And then she sells the MP3s and I don't take the money from that. But I was like, we're going to record that. So I never have to have that conversation again. Mm-hmm. And I still, people email all the time. My husband's cousin's boyfriend, sister has the coolest voice and needs to get into voiceover. What do you recommend? I have it down to like a template now that mm-hmm. I email to people. Do this, this, and this. And then I know if they do those things and they get back to me with additional questions, which honestly has maybe happened twice that anybody ever writes back. First of all, people don't write back and say, thank you. They just just are like, whatever. I never hear from them again. But so I used to get my feathers really ruffled about that. But I realized like if there is that person who wants to hear this stuff, if if I am helping people in that feeling of being generous and feeling good about donating that, that time, it always just comes back. If I'm getting my feathers ruffled and feeling like, everybody just, everybody's bothering me. They want me to do all this homework, but they won't do any homework. Then, uh, it's not good. So I try to like, remember that and keep my mind clear. But I did a lot of that at the, at the beginning can I come over and borrow your studio? Sure. Can I come, you know what I mean? Just, mm-hmm. just to like stir up the energy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I think that's really important. And what you said is really key is that people wanted to hear it was easy for you so that it can be easy for them. And sometimes I think people also just want to hear the evidence of, oh, see, it's not possible. This would be drinking the that's, Kool-Aid. That's true. Or I don't have the money for that mm-hmm. because it does require a financial investment, I think, mm-hmm. to do it right. Not mm-hmm. a huge fund. You're not going to Harvard Medical School, mm-hmm. but it might require three to five thousand mm-hmm. dollars, and it, which means you'd have to put a little bit of money away. If if you don't have currently have three to five thousand dollars, you would have to put some money away, and you would have to focus that money into an investment of your career. Mm-hmm. But you you know it's so interesting because um, with that money part, right there. There are ways. I mean, I had a Zach Bessonette on my show who has this great book about debt-free university, debt-free you, how to get great. through college. It's a great, it's a great book. And um, there's many different ways. And so when people think, oh, I can't afford it, like I put myself through school, there's many different ways. You may have to be resourceful mm-hmm. in how to figure it out. So if you don't sure. have the money to start out and you really want to do voiceovers, what can you do? And if that means you have a job that pays you. And then this is your side hustle. Like my friend, Pam Slim, um, you know, she talks a lot about side hustle. When you want, when you're thinking that you want to do X, do it as a side hustle. I totally, I couldn't agree more. That's what I did for years. Mm-hmm. It was my side hustle for years before I finally made it my full-time gig. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I couldn't agree more. And, and if, if you want to make a demo, which is usually people's you know, what part of the beginning steps of getting into voiceover, you want to make a demo and a demo is going to cost you market value of a voiceover demo. Your first one will be around $1,500. Plus you've got to study because you're any good demo producer wouldn't put you right into demo without you knowing what you're doing. You've got to study, study, study. There are all sorts of ways for that to be worked out. Mm-hmm. over time mm-hmm. and you should be keeping a day job what don't quit your day job yet mm-hmm. you haven't even like I, I don't i don't i'm sure people aren't that but, crazy but well, you know well when i, I don't know because when i first started the show <laughs> You're like i don't know <laughs> crazy. when i first started the show back in 2006 oh i know 2006 Amazing. you know there was a lot of leap leap and the net will appear and, um, I don't, I don't like that. I know. And so, and I think, I mean, there are some people that's what they need. I'm way more, you know, again, I wanted that safe conservative job, right? I got it. Um, and then I didn't like it, but 
I, I, I'm so I'm much more conservative. And so I didn't, I'm not a good leaper, but I'm a good at taking small steps. And I have a saying, small hinges can move big doors. So I think it's important to know who you are. Just like you were saying, know who I am as a, as an actor, know who you are and what kind of risk you can sustain. And then also looking at what's your financial reality like? If you have a huge mortgage and if you have, if you have this, uh, high net that has to go out every month, then what are you going yeah, to may, do? Maybe the leap isn't the best idea. Yeah. But I, I just, I really advocate for the small steps because those are the ones that add up and are sustainable. If you leap and, and, uh, you don't have the skills or the track record or the clientele or the traffic on your website or whatever it is to sustain it, Okay. It could hurt. It could hurt when you fall, and that's okay. Falling is okay. It, try it. Go for it. You know what I mean. But I, that's why I advocate. If you want to be really specific and move along nicely, the smaller steps things I think is a really good, solid foundation to do it. Maybe we just don't like to fall that much. <laughs> I don't like falling. Who likes to fall? Because here's even with the small steps, it's gonna hurt. You're still gonna fall. You're gonna fail, and those hurt. But. But yeah, I, I, there's no way the position that I was in, because then I wound up having my daughter when I was 26. So there was no way, like, so by the time I'm 31, I have, you know, we Mm -hmm. have a mortgage, we have a kid in private school, we have, and those are choices we made, Mm -hmm. but still like we, I wasn't going to, you know, just be like, well, I can just be unemployed and, and I mean, I had to fill my time somehow. This is the other thing. Sometimes with, with acting, you're, you're not really filling your time. You're not acting every day of the year. Mm-hmm. You're just not doing that. Mm-hmm. That's the nature of the business. So that's why you'll see a lot of actors who invest in real estate or have online businesses or are, re- uh, uh, what's it called? Um, instructors of different, you know what I mean? They do all kinds of things because you have to fill the time. Mm-hmm. It's not that fun. It seems like it would be fun to be unemployed, but it's really like <laughs> a soul killer. <laughs> like You have to do things to fill the time. Well, because when like if you have that space, right? And mm-hmm. if you have that mind crack in your brain, and you ha- all of a sudden, the, it's like it's like four thirty in the morning, right? Well, maybe I'm not good enough. Maybe my time sure. is over. Maybe nobody wants me. And it, <laughs> all that stuff happens. And if you don't know how to deal with that, some people know how to deal with that. Like for a long time, my way to survive that my mind crack was just to be really busy, and then I never had to really worry about it because I was too busy to focus on it. Sure. Now I know how to deal with it, and I know how to work through it, so I don't attach to it. But that's taken you know, a lot of practice for me. But yeah, so that can be really hard for people is that space period. Piece. Yeah, it's tough. And you're right, it is tough. Like, because you can fill a day doing absolutely nothing, but get a lot of stuff done. Like, I went to the grocery store, I went to the bank, I went to the dry cleaner, I went to the and really have nothing that's moved you forward mm-hmm. in your career. Because we're humans, we like to take action, and we like to stir it up, and we like to do things. And when we don't have that, it's, it's, it is a mind meld. Mm -hmm. And also too, whenever you're starting a new business, whether it's, you know, like you're doing life coaching or on something online, or you're doing something creative, it's really, it could be a year or more of building that and not really hearing too much back. Mm -hmm. That is that. And that is the make or break time Mm -hmm. when you have to like, certainly be looking at what you're doing and could you improve what you're doing but if if you can't i don't know it's just that's the tough part before you you start to get your momentum going with with making money at it that's the toughest part well and that's so like i think it's three to five years you know to build a business right and some people will say oh you know and i think if you don't have mind crack and you can keep the 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 mental drama out of it Mm -hmm. you could probably build it faster i have a lot of mind crack um but, Me too. And, and, and knowing that, okay, so here are two people that are, that have a lot of Minecraft, but we're doing what we want to do and we're making livings at it, right? Yeah. Right. And, and that's, I great, think, great evidence for the listeners out there. Um, and we're doing it in a style that resonates with who we are. And, you know, we both like sustainable small steps. So if you're a big leaper, you're probably not listening to us right now. <laughs> and, and that's okay because there's other shows out there. Um, yeah. But so thinking about that of, how can I move forward in knowing what kind of brain, but three to five years, I'm going all over the place. No, three to I five agree years. with the three to five years. And I would say if you're moving out to Los Angeles to be an actor, prepare to give it eight to 10 years 
before people know who you are. Mm-hmm. They will, you'll get jobs. Here's the, okay, let me, let me clarify. If you go three years and you don't make any money at all, you don't make a sale, you don't book a job, you don't land an audition, uh, like book the job via an, you know what I mean? Then there's a problem and mm-hmm. you need to look at it. But it's going to take three to five years in order for it to be sustainable where you're making a living. Mm -hmm. So you should be having some successes along the way, but probably more failures because you're just still figuring it out. But what, what I always say is if, if it's been three years and you've booked no voiceover jobs, there is something wrong. If you, if it's been three years and like, maybe you made like, well, you know what? I booked a couple jobs and I made $1,500 last year. Mm-hmm. And then the second year, it's like, wow, I, I made like $4,900 this year. Mm-hmm. And then the third year, oh my gosh, I've made $9,900. You know what I mean? Like you see how it, when mm-hmm. it's building, that's good. But but there have been people who've asked me like, what's going on? I haven't booked in the two years I've been with my agent or anything. And then I say, okay, there is a problem that we need to go back to either your skills, mm-hmm. what you're putting out there, your materials, maybe your demo sucks. You know what I mean? There is a problem. Mm-hmm. You should be getting a little bit of traction, but you're abs- I, But I think the five and for being an actor, I'd say, yeah, I do stick with with the eight to ten years thing because now the response that I get from when I meet a new casting director is they all they go, oh my god, you're great. Where where'd you come from? And I'm like, I've been here all along, <laughs> friend. <laughs> but what you can't say that, of course, because you have to make them feel like they've discovered you. But it's like, no, I've been here paying my dues, mm-hmm. you know, well, it, make making money. I mean, my IMDb, I've been making money at this, but just just because and you do that, too. When you watch a show, you're like, who's that guy who was on Mad Men? Like, what? He was so great. And then you look at his IMDb, you're like, wow, that dude's been mm-hmm. around. Yeah. To get to that stage, you've already put in eight to 10 years. And that, see, here's the thing. And see, this is so perfect for my show. My listeners know this because, you know, it's about success. It's falling down, getting up, falling down, getting up, even though you and I don't really like to fall down. But it's still that. It's that long-term versus (laughs) versus that overnight success. Yeah. You know, and there's a great book. It's called The Talent Code. And it's by, oh, I love that book. Yeah, so Dan's been on my show a bunch of times, and I remember reading that book going, "Oh my gosh!" And he talks about, you know, like the uh, the American Idol people. They're not just that they weren't just found; like they had been practicing for a long time before even they even hit that platform. Yeah. And what people think is, oh, they've just got picked up off the street. Well, because it's more romantic. Everyone loves the Lana Turner Schwab drugstore story. Oh, Every everyone loves the Charlize Theron pitched a fit at the bank, and that's how she was discovered by a manager. Is it true? I don't know if it's true, but but it's like one story. It's like one snapshot in one person's life. It's not like Charlize Theron hadn't been modeling and acting in her home country. She had been. Yeah, you know. So it's it, it's not like you know what I mean. But do you, here's people the thing. literally don't fall off a turnip truck, and then they're in. Unless I guess maybe you're Chris Chris Klein in Election who was perfect in that. He was so great. But I, I think that Alexander Payne like discovered him in wherever they were shooting Omaha, maybe. You know, but but those stories are so, compared to like the thousands and thousands of talents that are out there working, people are putting time and effort into their craft. Okay, so here's what's coming up. It, Seth Godin talks about that. It's kind of like the gatekeepers, right? So when you think, oh, well, Charlize Theron was found or somebody was found over here, it's this, oh, until somebody grants me permission, I am not allowed to come into this. And I Ooh. know like, I because I can get, the reason I can notice this is that sometimes I get stuck in that, like I'm waiting for somebody to wave their magic wand to say you have access instead of when stepping in. you're the in, one with the magic wand. Yeah, it's about me stepping in and owning it. It's like what you were talking about. Like, okay, I'm an actor and I'm going to go do theater and I'm going to own it. It doesn't matter whether I get paid or not. I'm owning, I'm an mm-hmm. actor. And and that's something that I work with a lot of clients on is that own what you do. Yeah. I, I think that should be the new phrase, not do what you love and the money will follow. It should be own what you do and the money will follow. Because if I got paid to do what I love, I would get paid to watch television. Because <laughs> I think I'm hilarious when I'm watching The Housewives and com- and Bachelor and live tweeting The Bachelor. But I don't get paid for that because you know why? That's not a job. <laughs> 
yet. And, and people have tried. <laughs> and the only people who have really done it successfully is Mystery Science Theater 3000, which was a show years ago for all you young people out there. Where these two comedians, and by the way, it was scripted. Yes, they improvised a little bit, but they had a team of writers writing their clever, they would watch old sci-fi movies and then they would do clever quips throughout it. So you'd watch the movie while you get their commentary. And, um, but like nobody's paid to cleverly watch TV and tweet about it, mm-hmm. but it's fun, <laughs> <laughs> but I'm not, you know what I mean? I love doing it mm-hmm. as of yet. No one has made me an offer. <laughs> Your tweets about The Bachelor are so amazing. We want to pay you a million dollars. That hasn't happened yet. When it does, I'll make the announcement on this show. But so it should be do what you own. Do what you Line up, own. Own, own what you love. What did you say? Now I can't remember. Own what you do. And the, own and you, what you do. And then you add it and the money will follow. And the money will follow. Yeah. Yeah, that owning part is just, it's so huge. And for some reason, we tie up the money to our worth. I mean, not for some reason. I mean, there's obviously, right? It's a cultural thing. Mm-hmm. But they, those two don't go hand in hand. They just, I mean, they, the money part, like we have, going back to my world of athletics, Olympians, well, now it's changed. But, you know, like my husband, Scott, who became an Olympian, my husband's athlete, Scott, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. who became an Olympian, you know, he didn't get paid to be an Olympian. Mm-mm. He just he had to keep showing up, practicing, and putting himself out there, and going all in when the world wasn't. Even when he qualified and made the team, there was a short clip on NBC where, or a short part of his race where Rowdy Gaines, who's the announcer, was like, "Oh my gosh, look at Scott Welts!" And then Scott Welts blew by everybody, and then he focused on the second place person. So in this race, I think for ten seconds only, Scott oh got press. So no, and Scott would be like. Wow, I even get ignored here. You know, he, the world was ignoring Scott and he broke wow. the Olympic trials record. Right? Wow. And and he was the fastest American and he upset the the gatekeepers and he upset, you know, the people who had the pedigree and the experience who had been previous Olympians. He beat them. Right? So he he just owned like, okay, this is what I'm going to do, like go of the Minecraft, get up in the race. And I and but nobody there wasn't a money component in the fact that like with my husband he didn't get paid to coach Scott. That was something that he just, he did on the side. Mm-hmm. And and I think that part becomes so important. I always use that as an example for people when they go, but you know, it's not really real yet. And I go, well, then make it real. It's all about what you own. Mm-hmm. I guarantee you, the more you do it, the more you'll own it, mm-hmm. the more you'll come up with ideas to make money around it. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It's just the yeah. the work begets more work for sure. Yep. And I, and I think about like with, uh, you know, yeah, I think that's just so important. And I, another point I wanted to go to was like with Vinny starting the podcast, right? With you two starting this podcast, mm-hmm. that podcast was his side hustle because his real job, so-called quote, real job is to be a trainer. Right. Right. And this was something on the side because he had a book and then somehow he looped you in. <laughs> Somehow, somehow I got roped in. Jeez. It's because I can't, like, like I said, say yes to everything. And then three years later, you'll be like, what just happened with my life? <laughs> and I'm just kidding. I love podcasting. I think it's great. And I'm so glad that I'm doing it with Vinny. We're, we're a good team. You guys are a good team. And we're becoming a good team. Yeah, we are. We're having fun. We are having fun. So as we wrap up about this whole, you know, stepping into making money in unconventional jobs, I love what you said about working, you know, doing stuff for free, putting yourself out there, right? Saying yes. Um, and then, you know, shifting our beliefs. It's also a great way to meet people mm-hmm. because it is a lot of times it is relationships. And we, we sit here, you know, behind our computers or in my case, I call it the back cave when I'm sitting here in my studio just recording from home. Mm-hmm. And I don't interact with anybody. And I'm always so glad when a client calls in because I'm like, oh, people. <laughs> But you know what I mean? It gets you out there and gets you doing stuff. Mm -hmm. I guarantee you, if you wanted to do voiceover and you live in Des Moines, Iowa, you could call the local television affiliates and just ask them, what can you do for them? And they will be like, great. And then you know people who could hire you down the line. Mm -hmm. It it just, just get out there in the world and mix it up with people because it, it, what everything that we do, even though it seems like we're solitary, we're not. Everything we do is interdependent. 
Oh, absolutely. We're so connected. And then the other point that I think is really important, because I know I deal with this, is that, you know, a client may call for a consult or I may have listeners that listen for years and then finally, you know, decide to work with me and hire me. Um, but it may not happen in that moment. And wouldn't that be the case for you too? Like with getting a job, you may go on an audition, but you may not get that job, but you are now in the casting director's mind for maybe a future job. Oh, I've had a million of those experiences. And most recently, well, not most recently, but a couple, actually, I think it was a couple years ago, a director said, who I didn't even recognize him. I went in for some video game and he, oh, I know what it was. It was a very verbally intense narration of one of the Final Fantasy games, which is a huge uh, RPG game. And um, and being the narrator in a British accent and having, they had a dialect coach there and everything. Like it was very, very intense and a lot of dialogue. And he said, oh yes, I heard your audition. And I thought, I said, I remember her because you did Kirsten Dunst for us. And I said, yeah, in like 2005, how do you remember that? And he was like, because I remember that you had very good diction and elocution and your ear was really good. And I was like, well, that's why that guy is a good director, because he remembers talent. And Lord knows I was doing Kirsten Dunst for Celebrity Deathmatch on MTV in 2005. And then this job was, what, 2011, 2012, doing a British accent for a Japanese game, a uh, video game. You know what I mean? I was like, mm-hmm. and just the fact that he remembered that, I was like, oh, Wow. Cool. We really do make impressions. Yeah. And you just never know. So never, the listeners out there, if things aren't turning out right now, keep doing your work and keep showing up because you don't know what you're, sometimes it's just about planting seeds. Don't you think, Anna? Oh gosh, yes. And the flip side of that is I would say, you know, always be aware of your communication with people Um, I had one lady who (laughs) was so, she sent me a very angry email about something, uh, uh, an MP3 and, um, that I had put out and she was very upset about it and, uh, didn't like it. And, and then I, and this is because, and she didn't pay for it. I sent it to her for free because she said she didn't have any money. I sent it to her for free. And then she sent me an angry email criticizing it. (laughs) I know. And I was like, well, okay, that's not the response I expected, which was thank you. Um, I appreciate that. Hope to return the favor one day, which is the only response she should have given in my opinion. And then uh, I think a few months later, she emailed me saying, I'm moving to LA and I want you to be my mentor. (laughs) And I was like, nope. I said, I wish you all the best, but no. And because she had, in my opinion, which is fine, we weren't a good match. Hopefully somebody else will be and and I'm sure she'll do fine. But for me personally, I was like, nope, you rubbed me the wrong way. Not, I'm not getting behind that. Well, that building bridges is really important in planting seeds. You know, how are you planting seeds and building bridges? And, um, you know, and then maybe hopefully she could have learned from that interaction and the next person that she interacted with will hopefully be different. Yeah, I think she did because she did send a very, and I would have too. I would have been like, oh my God, I'm so sorry. But you know, you're young and you don't, I don't know, the kids these days, do they teach them (laughs) communication skills in the emails? Because no, (laughs) no, 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 no. Anyway. So that's that's just one like cautionary tale. Like just always be awesome in your communications with people. Yeah, that's really important. Well, it's always about how do you rep- represent yourself? How do you put yourself out there? Well, and also too, like why are you upset about an MP3? Is that a reason to get mad? Well, you know what I mean? Like think about why you get mad. If I would get understand getting mad if you were like ripped off and somebody took money from you or, you know what I mean, you felt like you were unfairly charged for I don't know like it was it was just it was a kind of a crazy thing but you'd be surprised so that's why I'm always like just represent yourself really well and you could there's ways to give constructive criticism and there are ways to give destructive criticism mm-hmm. well and it just also gives a lot of information about her right mm-hmm. and what she believes is what she should be doing and um and then the other thing is that one of the things that I've learned is that shame is really personal and, yes. and a lot of times when people are in a place of shame, that could possibly be it. She maybe got triggered. And then one of the ways, one of the things that we do is we move against people. I call it the inner gladiator and we attack and destroy and which gets in the way because we all have this fundamental need to connect and belong. 
that's interesting. And then she probably activated the same sort of thing within me because I was like, hey, mm-hmm. do you know what I mean? Yeah. Hey, I, that hurts my feelings. Yeah. And I was doing something nice for you. Mm-hmm. And then now you attack me. And wait a second. You know, why did I let you inside? Like I always call boundaries fence posts, you know, so why did I let you inside my gate when right. you're going to attack me like this? Yeah. Interesting. It's all fascinating. Oh, we just got to the bottom of something. I like it. <laughs> <laughs> well, Anna, thank you for coming back and we're going to talk some more. Thank you for having me. You're awesome. You're awesome too. This is fun. <laughs> yes, it is very fun. All right. So Anna gave you guys an inside look into how she was able to establish her career. And there's a lot of really good information. And her career is so you know unconventional. And I think the big thing that becomes really important is that your mindset when you go into something how, how, what are the stories that you're telling yourself? What are the stories that you're listening to? Are you saying it's not going to happen? It's impossible. If that is your list in your the list of stories in your brain, how do you think you're going to feel? And when you feel, you know, most likely you're not going to feel, you're going to feel despair, frustrated, upset. You probably do compare and despair. So and so over here is getting this, but I'm not. And that's all rooted in shame, which is the voice of you're not enough. And when you have that voice of you're not enough, how do you act in your life? Do you hide away? Do you people please? You know, do you go inner gladiator? Maybe you go inner gladiator on yourself. Just start beating yourself up. See, I'm just not good enough. I'm not worthwhile enough. So cleaning up the mind crack, it becomes really, really important as you go out and to make money in unconventional careers, as you go to do something that may be off the beaten path of what your family is expected or culturally what is expected. And we've talked about, you know, it's not about leap and the net will appear and, and or going to massive credit card debt. Maybe it's about starting that side hustle. Be- but before you take any action, it's really about doing the work on your brain. You know, and it doesn't mean that you have to have this mindset where it's so zen-like and you do that for six months before you take action. It may be, you know, before you go walking out the door, you clean up your brain. And I can, the way I can relate to this is in the world of swimming, you have a swimming, you're signed up, you're expected to go. You don't go, well, I'm not mentally ready, so I'm not going to show up. You go and there's that deadline. And as you're walking up to your races or before, you're, you're working on your brain. And maybe it's the night before the meet, you wake up in the morning, right? How am I talking to myself? Okay, I'm really scared. I'm going to die. Well, nobody's ever died when your current's watch. This is one common conversation I have with athletes because they're afraid that they're going to die. They're so afraid of pain. Um, you know, so whatever the things are, and then you go, okay, nobody's ever died, right? I'm afraid of the pain. I can do this event. This is what I'm going to focus on. And you start to get yourself pumped up, as we'd say in the athletics world, right? We were we use psych up tapes, or I guess it's now playlists. But that, how do you talk to yourself? So again, I'm using that as an example so that you don't think, oh, for the next six months, I have to work on my mindset. It has to be all perfectly clean and quaffed, and I just can't get there, so therefore I can't do this thing that I want to go do. It, you're going to be constantly cleaning it out. It's like doing the dishes. There's always this constant you know, dishes going through the kitchen. So really working on your mind. What are the stories you tell yourself about you? What are you believing? And the thing that is great is that when you are really going after something that you want, it's going to cause a storm in your head. Because of all those beliefs that you don't want to believe, but they're there. There's this voice in the back of your head talking to you. And so the beautiful thing is that when you are striving to go for a goal of yours, there's something that you're really hungering to do, it's going to create a lot of drama in your head. And then you can unpack that and move through it. And that's the important part. And so there's a lot of episodes um, on the show where I talk about it further in depth. But the mindset piece is so, so important. And then be willing to do stuff. And even the mindset piece of, oh, well, I'm not really getting paid what I'm worth. But you may be in a new field. Like Anna said, hey, look, go to this you know, station and say, what can I do to help? And But it's about making connections, especially in a new industry. And don't discount the work dependent on what you get in the beginning go, yay. If it's $5, yay, it's $5. It's $1,000. Yay, it's $1,000. Whatever the number is, celebrate that. Yay me. Look at me. This is what I got started with. And you can have bigger dreams than that. You can have bigger plans. It's time to do a shout out 
to an iTunes reviewer, Samantha L. Thomas from Australia. Love Aussie. So thank you so much for taking the time and doing the effort to put that review. That is a way that you can guys can give back to the show. It really helps the show. So thank you so much, Samantha. And I really appreciate all the great things you said about the show. So I'm glad the show really helps. And I look forward to you guys joining our community at HowSheReallyDoesIt.com. I'm in the process of building a new website, my website story, and I'm not going to call it a saga. <laughs> and so there's going to be a membership site there. It's going to be free for the listeners. So make sure you join and then you'll be the first to know once that's established. HowSheReallyDoesIt.com. Thanks so much for listening, you guys. I'm signing. I'm smiling big for you. On is dreaming she is drifting never been so 